Hi, I'm James. Uh, this evening's Bible reading is from James chapter 3, verse 13 to chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, it's on page 979 of the Church Bibles, or in your leaflets, and also on the screen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he who jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more, more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one law, giver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Thank you, James, for reading from the book of James for us. Uh, we planned that one very well. Um, we've already met. My name is Brian. Uh, it is a genuine joy to be able to meet together, to hear God's word. And I'm going to pray for us um, that we would have ears to hear him speak tonight. And as we start, I'm going to start with the words of Psalm 1. Uh, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to hear your word this evening, that you might put aside any distractions or distresses that we have felt this week. We pray that you would help us to delight in your word and to meditate on your word. We pray that your word would bear fruit in our lives, that we might prosper 
and live lives of spiritual health and maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Friends, we reap the benefits of living in a world which is increasingly obsessed with health and wellness. Uh, Right now, we enjoy the benefits of things like the Medicare system, access to hospitals and GPs, and we have an ever-increasing field of allied health professionals. Uh, You have doctors, nurses, speech paths, physios, OTs, social workers, psychiatrists, psychologists, you have podiatrists, dietitians, exercise physiologists, sleep specialists, and counsellors, and so many different fields that all help us to work together for our health and our well-being. On my wrist, I wear a watch that not only tells me the time, it tells me how many steps I've taken this, this very day. It tells me my current heart rate, and it tells me how much sleep I got last night. I can even tell you with this watch the saturation of oxygen in my bloodstream and the amount of physical activity that I've done this week. Uh, We reap the benefits of living in a world which is increasingly obsessed with health and wellness. Uh, Good health, of course, is not just the absence of disease, it's the presence of well-being. It's completeness, soundness, integrity in our bodies. Health is wholeness. In other words, it's not just your physical well-being, it's your mental, spiritual, social, emotional well-being as well. And we have smart watches and medical technology which can help us to understand the state of our physical health. And we have questionnaires which can quantify our mental health. But what does it mean for us to be a spiritually healthy people? Well, as we come to this part of the book of James, we encounter a group of people and their spiritual health was shot. Uh, They had an infection in the bloodstream, so to speak, and there were symptoms of that all throughout their community of unhealthy spiritual life. Uh, What did this spiritually unhealthy church look like? Well, you see it in there in James 3 and 4. They were a people who were full of fighting and quarreling with one another. They were a people who sought their own interests. And they were a people who were judgmental and proud. And tonight, God's word is going to act a bit like a bunch of white blood cells. It's going to help us to search out any sign of infection in the body to catch it out before it does any damage to the body of Christ. Tonight we're going to see the spiritual danger of warped wisdom and disordered desires. And we're going to apply the restorative power of the gospel of grace. Uh, So let's start off first with warped wisdom. Uh, James begins in verse 13. He says this, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life and by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Uh, A man much wiser than I, Dr. J.I. Packer, once explained that wisdom is a bit like learning to drive a car. Uh, To drive a car, you don't need to understand the, uh, the dynamics that makes internal combustion engine works, or you don't need to understand the genius behind ABS braking. Wisdom is not about understanding everything, but about doing the right thing 
in any given situation. In other words, wisdom is far less about the amount of knowledge that you have and how you use it. It's about understanding the situation in front of you and responding accordingly. Wisdom is seen in our actions. And what's particularly peculiar about this part of the book of James is it says there are actually two different types of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom and there's a heavenly wisdom. In the words of Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. And there is also true wisdom, wisdom from above. So how do we know if we're operating ourselves by earthly wisdom or by heavenly wisdom? How do you know whether your wisdom is healthy or just warped? Well, James goes on. He says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. In other words, the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom is both its root and its fruit. Let me explain. Earthly wisdom has its roots firmly grounded in the self. You see there that it's full of bitter envy. In other words, earthly wisdom cannot celebrate the success of another person. It finds bitterness rather than joy when another person succeeds. Now, you may not be filled with bitterness, but you probably live by this motto, or you've at least heard this motto, do whatever is best for you. Earthly wisdom is all about you. It's selfish ambition. That's what it's rooted in. And you see where selfish ambition leads, the fruit that it leads us to, verse 15 tells us, is that it produces disorder and every evil practice. In other words, earthly wisdom will produce in us disordered, broken relationships. Earthly wisdom will cause us to sin and to hurt one another. True wisdom, however, well, true wisdom has its roots firmly in Christ. Its motto is not do whatever is best for you, but do what is best. And we see what is best when we look to Christ. In the book of Philippians, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, 
Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, the root of true wisdom is found in Christ, the humble, peace-loving one. And so its fruit is peace and righteousness. You see it there in verse 18. It is peacemakers who sow in peace. They are the ones who reap a harvest of righteousness. In other words, heavenly wisdom will produce a community that is at peace with one another. A community that loves one another and serves each other with the same mindset and humility as Christ. So how do you know if the way that you're acting is governed by earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? How do you know if it's warped or true? Well, if you'll allow me just to take this tree analogy just a little bit further, I think the advice that James would give us is to test the quality of the soil. Is the soil in which you make decisions full of bitter envy or selfish ambition? Is your heart soaking in bitterness or are you so focused on yourself? If you've become so bitter or so self-focused that you can no longer speak to someone at church, you can no longer seek their good, you will be guided by earthly wisdom. If that's you, can I encourage you to resolve those issues tonight, to make peace to uproot that bitterness in your heart, to steer yourself away from selfish ambition because such wisdom will only produce bad fruit. But if the soil in which you make decisions and react is guided by Christ, if you're soaking in those nutrients of humility and purity, peace and kindness, well, then there will be a harvest of peace and righteousness. Warped wisdom will do a world of hurt, but wisdom that has its roots in Jesus, nourished with humility, will bring about peace and righteousness, wholeness in ourselves and wholeness in our relationships with one another. Warped wisdom is the first spiritual disease that James addresses, but now to our second spiritual disease, and that is disordered desires. James then says in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, there was fighting and quarrels going on in the church that James was writing to. They were full of divisions and factions. They had split camps. And James, like a good doctor, sees the symptoms and he goes straight to the cause of the disease. It's their disordered desires. So let me ask you, what do you really want? What do you really 
love. Not, I'm not asking you, what do you say that you want or what do you say that you love? What does your life actually show about what you desire most? I think the truth that we need to accept is that our desires are actually far more shaped by what we do than what we think. Our desires are far more shaped by what we do than what we think. Uh, For example, every time you walk into a shopping centre or every time you scroll social media and you uh, subconsciously take in the advertising, you're being taught to desire that thing that is on sale. Uh, Every time I wake up in the morning and I take that first sip of coffee, I'm teaching my lips to desire the sweet taste of caffeine. Uh, Every time we doom scroll social media, we're teaching our brains to desire the next hit of dopamine from that six-second video. Every time you say yes to working more overtime, you're teaching yourself to desire the financial and the social benefits of staying back late rather than spending time with family. Every time I book a holiday, I'm shaping my brain to desire the smell of that fresh ocean breeze or the sight of an open road or that Airbnb tucked away in the middle of nowhere. Our desires are shaped by what we do. So what is it that you do? If you were to open up your diary or your calendar, what would your monthly your weekly or your annual routines show you about what you truly desire. Now, in saying this, I'm not at all saying that you can't take a holiday to the glory of God. In fact, you should. I'm not saying that you can't work to the glory of God or that you can't shop or drink coffee to the glory of God. No, but our habits shape our desires. And there is great danger in loving those things more than we love God. In fact, James has really strong words for us in verse 4. He says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? And therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, if we desire to gain the world, we will forfeit our very selves we will spiritually bankrupt ourselves. The only option is to seek first the kingdom of God, to reorder our desires so that we seek first his kingdom, to reorder our lives so that we desire him more than anything else in the world. We see here that God will not settle for spiritual adultery. He won't settle for second place in your heart. And so we must seek out the great physician to cure us of our disordered desires. See, James has shown us the two spiritual diseases, warped wisdom and disordered desires. And he also shows us where to find healing 
in the gospel of grace. James says in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. And that is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. See, tonight we've seen the spiritual dangers of warped wisdom and disordered desires. And you might be thinking, you know what? I really need to to pull my socks up. I need to try harder and I need to get that heavenly wisdom. You might even be thinking, I need to get out some pruning shears and I need to cut off that bad fruit. And you might do that for a time. But you know what happens when you cut off the fruit? Well, it's still got the same roots, the same soil, and that same fruit will come up again and again. You might be thinking, I need to reorder my desires. So I'm going to establish a new routine. I'm going to wake up every morning, 4 a.m., read my Bible. And maybe you'll do that for a week, maybe even a month. But it won't be long before those old desires come creeping back in. No, the only solution is to rest in the gospel of grace. See, in verse 6, we have a double promise there. It tells us, first of all, that if we remain proud and self-sufficient, God will oppose us. But if we humble ourselves, God will show us favor and grace in place of grace already given. The only solution is to cast yourself upon the grace of God and to seek the healing that he offers. In verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, those first few words there are really grating to our modern ears, aren't they? That first word, submit. I mean, after all, to submit to God means to place yourself under his authority, to entrust your life to his power, to trust his word. And our culture tells us, don't submit to anyone. Let no one have the right to rule your life. The only person who has the right to do that is you. What we don't realize, however, is that everyone submits to something. Did you know that? Everyone submits to something. Because the opposite of submission is resistance. And just as James said earlier that you're either going to be a friend of the world or a friend of God, so we can either submit to God or we can submit to Satan. And so the question is, Will you resist God and submit to the devil? Or will you submit to God and resist the devil? I know which one I would rather choose. And here's the incredible thing about submitting your life to God. Uh, If I were to submit myself to a judge or a magistrate, I would respect their authority. In fact, if you see me around authority figures, you'd probably see me get a bit scared, and it's just, you know, my way of respecting them. I don't come near. I'm a bit timid. But the gospel of grace says submit 
and draw near to God. Place your life under the authority of God and draw near to Him. In other words, enjoy a rich relationship with God. Don't run from Him. Run to Him. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Friends, you can come near to God because Jesus came near to us. The Lord Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient to death. He came near to us so that we can draw near to God in confidence and the full assurance that faith brings. This is a faith that works. And this is what it will mean for us to be spiritually healthy. Tonight we've seen the disease. We've felt the disease in ourselves from time to time. It's that disease of self-sufficiency and selfish ambition. It's self which pulls us away from God and pulls us away from one another. And yet we've also seen the cure tonight. The gospel of grace. The gospel, which doesn't say, try harder, pull your socks up, be less selfish. No, it says, submit yourselves to God. Place your life in his hands. Draw near to him. That is what will bring you health and wholeness. That is what will bring you completeness of relationship with God and joy in relationship with one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the times when we have lived and operated by our warped desires, by our warped wisdom and disordered desires. We are sorry for the way that we have treated you, and we are sorry for the way that we have treated one another. And yet, Father, we thank you for the gospel of grace, that we are saved not through what we do, but by coming to Christ, by drawing near to him with faith, trusting in his sacrifice in our place. Heavenly Father, help us to draw near to you this week. Please reorder our desires and our wisdom that we might bear fruit and give glory to you in everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.